Readers Entertainment Radio presents Book Lights with your host, author Lisa Kessler. Book Lights, where we're shining a light on good books. Hello, everyone. We're still in spooky October, my favorite time of year. And I am very excited today to bring you Lisa Morton, who is a Halloween expert. Oh, wait. What is my computer doing? Hold on. Woo! We're getting all kinds of spooky. My computer got hijacked. So anyway, (laughs) but Lisa Morton is here with us today. She's got a brand new book out called Calling the Spirits. So we'll be talking seances and ghosts. I can't wait. If you have not read Lisa yet, she has quite the bio. So let me read that for you. Lisa Morton is a screenwriter, author of nonfiction books, and award-winning prose writer whose work was distributed by the American Library Association's Reader Advisory Guide to Horror as consistently dark, unsettling, and frightening. She's the author of four novels, 150 short stories, a six-time winner of the Brand Stoker Award, and a world-class Halloween expert. She co-edited, along with Leslie S. Klinger, the anthology Weird Women Classic Supernatural Fiction by Groundbreaking Female Writers. And the forthcoming in 2020 is the book we're going to talk about today, Calling the Spirits, A History of Seances. Lisa lives in Los Angeles, and you can find out more and sign up for her newsletter on her website. I did put a link to that, lisamorton.com, right there on Blog Talk. You can click that anytime and sign up over there. And without any further delay, Lisa, are you there? I sure am. Great. I'm so excited that you're here. And I didn't mention this before the show, but we are both Lisas, and I have never met a mean Lisa ever, so fist bump to us. (laughs) I think I can keep that tradition alive. (laughs) Yay. Okay. (laughs) So tell us about Calling the Spirits. Why should we all run out and grab a copy right now? It's um, actually the first book that examines the history of seances, and that actually even surprised me. Uh, my publisher, Reaction Books, approached me about writing this book a few years ago, and I had just finished a book for them called Ghost, A Haunted History. So I had some familiarity already with the subject, and I thought it would be really fun to dig into the history of seances. It turned out to be way more fun even than I had anticipated. Um, it was the first time I've written a nonfiction book where I delivered way more than what I was contracted to deliver because it was so interesting. I just couldn't stop writing about it. Um, it's uh, A lot of the book focuses on the Victorian spiritualism that was really popular in the late 19th century. And the uh, spiritualists, especially the group of them in London, were incredibly fascinating. Um, they were into all kinds of um, things, and they were very sort of prominent within British society. Many of them were lords or were members of the aristocracy, and there also were all kinds of juicy little scandals going on among these people. Um, it just made for really entertaining research, and I hope an entertaining read. Oh, I can't wait to read it. I'm I'm always fascinated by that kind of thing, and. I, until recently, I lived in San Diego my whole life, and there is a house in San Diego called the Via Montezuma that um, it used to be open for tours a lot more often, and I had gone in there a few times with my daughter, and they built it specifically for Jesse Shepard to come and do seances there. 
And oh. so the house is very strange, had a, has a widow's peak that looks the wrong direction. And inside, there's all kinds of strange heads all the way around the house. And it's very dramatic. And I guess he played piano. There's a giant organ in there and all this kind of thing. And uh, the attraction to me, I, I mean, I just can't get over how popular that must have been because five San Diegans paid to build this mansion for a man to come, for a spiritualist to come and do seances. So it was a huge deal back then, right? It sure was. It was huge in both the United States and Great Britain. And um, spiritualism, by the way, is still around. It is actually a recognized religion. It is based on the idea that there are mediums who can allow us to communicate with the spirits of our deceased loved ones. Um, in the 19th century, spiritualism also was based on the idea that it could be proven scientifically, which is something they've moved a little bit past at this point, considering how many times the mediums were debunked in the 19th century. Um, right. And that was one of one of the fun things about the book too was was just seeing how the spiritualist reacted to science whenever science debunked another one of their mediums they they would create such brain twisting logic to explain how the mediums were nonetheless real that sometimes you you would read this stuff and you would just say what what i mean that actually is, <laughs> wow my head's being flipped around by some kind of really twisted logic here Right. But as you were researching, did you cross over stories where you were like, wow, I mean, did you finish it going, wow, maybe I'm a believer? Yeah, I had that reaction much more when I wrote Ghost of Haunted History. Um, I am kind of a natural skeptic. And when I started that book, I was not a particular believer in ghosts. But by the time I was done studying this entire history of belief in ghosts and around the world, um, you almost cannot write a book like that and remain a completely s skeptical person in response to it. I mean, there is so much history and so many right. hundreds of thousands of people who have had this experience um, that you end up coming away saying, well, there's there's definitely something there. I, I, at this point, my skepticism takes the form of I'm not entirely sure what it is. I'm not sure I'm convinced <laughs> yet that it is spirits of the dead, but... There is definitely something going on. Yeah, and that ties into the um, the seances and that kind of thing. Do you think every once in a while there's somebody who can tap in? I think there are people who have some extraordinary abilities. Um, again, I am not sure. I'm convinced that they are calling the spirits of the dead, but... Um, what is going on, I'm not sure. There are definitely people who maybe are just incredibly intuitive or very good at reading people. It's really hard to say exactly what is going on. I will say that when it comes to the um, the like Victorian spiritualist mediums, one of the questions I get asked a lot was, well, do you think any of them were real? Actually, no, I don't. Um, oh. They claim... <laughs> They claim to be able to do such extraordinary things that, um, and these things were all debunked, and, and there really is no reason to believe that, for example, a medium could call forth a live eel that would drop into your lap during a seance, um, <laughs> which is something that one of them... No, I wouldn't want them, that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, even if they could do that, would you want that? 
But yeah, no. there were <laughs> there were some of the mediums who had definitely extraordinary skills. Maybe just not what we think. Um, there was uh, a a woman named Helen Duncan who is actually my all time favorite medium. She's from the twentieth century. And she could produce ectoplasm, which is this white material that would extrude from usually uh, the mouth and the nose. And and it was thought to be the spirit material that they were made of. Um, Although some people also believed it was something that mediums had within them that allowed them to communicate with spirits. And the uh, famous investigator Harry Price studied Helen at length in the early 20th century, and he ended up concluding that she had the ability to swallow this material, which was usually something like cheesecloth, and regurgitate at will. (laughs) I don't know about you, but the idea of being able to regurgitate at will sounds like a pretty astonishing ability to me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I don't know if you could pay me enough for that. (laughs) Right. <laughs> wow. And did uh, is it is it Edgar Casey who was the big guy in the U.S. I don't know if he was doing seances though. Wasn't he? He was doing he was trances and of, giving people yeah, messages. Yeah, more of a psychic and channeler. I see. Okay, so that was different. And I actually do get a little bit into the modern psychics in my book, Calling the Spirits, because I have a theory that uh, spiritualism evolved and kind of split into two separate paths, which is something that we see now. Um, The two paths on the one side, we went for the scientific angle of it, which has become the modern paranormal investigation that we're so obsessed with in reality TV, for example. Right. And Uh yeah, the. The other path was the psychics who kind of embodied the more spiritualist um, form of what was going on with the mediums. All right. So he would have fallen into that side of it. Right. That is so that is so fascinating. So I got to ask, I, I always do on Facebook, I always do a Halloween movie countdown every year. And many years, 1408 makes that um makes that list and did you ever see that movie the 1408 Stephen King story that they made into a movie I confess I have missed that one up until now (laughs) oh well well now you have to go watch it because it reminds me of you writing that ghost book but John Cusack is a writer who wants to know if ghosts are real and so anyway, he goes to haunted places and writes books about them, and he gets invited to a haunted hotel room, 1408. And uh, and then at the end, it's very hard to decide if you believe or not, but it was a really great movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, that kind of does sound like a lot of my recent life story. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> they were borrowing your life. <laughs> right. So so I want to ask you a little bit about um because Halloween is my favorite time of year why why are you so into Halloween what drew you to that Well it was something I always loved as a kid um I grew up here in the southern California area in the 60s mainly um when it was kind of the golden age of trick or treat our whole neighborhood in Arcadia was into it um, and it was also an interesting time because the kids were typically would trick or treat back then without parents. 
tagging along. And that mm-hmm. made it a much more interesting night. Uh, you you kind of felt free and empowered for this one night a year, which made it really special. And um, my whole family was into it. My parents would help me make costumes, and we all loved the holiday. And um, but it was it's funny that it was nothing I ever considered writing about or becoming an expert in until um, the early 2000s, and even then it wasn't my idea. It was a publisher I was working with who um, I had just finished a film book with, and they came to me and said, hey, would you be interested in doing another book with us? So I looked at their recent catalog and saw that they had just put out something called the Christmas Encyclopedia. And so I came back to them and said, hey, how about doing a Halloween encyclopedia? And they said, that sounds great. And um, it all just kind of snowballed from there. And you instantly became an expert. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know if I'd say instantly because I, I always laugh when I think back to I thought for some reason writing this encyclopedia was going to be easy. I have no idea why on earth I thought that at the time because it took about three years of research. Um, wow. And in the, yeah, it was immense. Uh, in the course of gathering all of that information, I accrued so much material that it was really easy to roll it over into other books. Um when you do an encyclopedia, of course, you're working in a really specific format. And I was kind of aching to put it all into a sort of narrative history of the holiday. So when the British publisher Reaction approached me about doing that, um, it was great because I'd always loved their books, and it was just the perfect fit. And I, when I was poking around on your website, I saw you've written the Halloween Encyclopedia, the Halloween History, and also an anthology of stories about Halloween. Um, so do you ever look at all those different things and, and think about, um, you know, ways to, you've done screenplays, you've done novellas, novels. I, do you use that information in the stuff that you write now? Oh, I, yeah, absolutely. Um in fact, I occasionally have to pull my own reference materials down to check facts and <laughs> uh, remind myself of certain things. That's too funny. And do you um, do you still enjoy Halloween? That didn't, like, you know, tamper your joy of the season, did it? It didn't at all, unfortunately. In fact, it it has made me completely obsessed with the holiday, and um, I just love every October that comes around. A few years ago, I bought my first house, and so we now love doing our own little miniature yard haunt every year. Mm -hmm. Um, Every year we try to get a little bit more extravagant with it and add a few more things, and it's nice because um, I'm unfortunately my house is in a cul-de-sac, so we don't get tons of kids, but the ones we get often make a very specific point of coming here with their family, and it's too cute to, to see the kids come up and their parents are making them pose for photos in front of gravestones and spooky figures, and it's <laughs> it's really delightful. Yes, I, I have... Uh... 
when I was in San Diego, I lived in, you know, way in the sticks. So there weren't a lot of trick-or-treaters, but every year I would make this haunted porch. And so kids would come by every year to go see the haunted porch this year. And, uh, and luckily with online things, I was able to start sharing it, you know, online, give everyone a video tour of the haunted porch. And now that I've moved, I have not set it up yet here, but I'm going to. <laughs> oh, good. I love the haunted porch. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the little, having having smartphones where you can do a little live video and take people on a tour is kind of fun in case kids aren't in your neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. So... I, again, I, I am amazed at all the different things that you do, but I always ask writers who come on Book Lights to tell everybody about your writing journey. Did you always want to be a writer? Did you fall into it? How, what did it look like for you? I think I have always written in some form or other. Um, my first piece was published when I was in kindergarten. <laughs> um <laughs> It was a little poem about my pet turtle, which my kindergarten teacher uh, submitted to a L.A. County um, creative writing magazine, and they they published it. And um, oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> a strange beginning, perhaps for a horror writer, but um, <laughs> and uh, for it's funny that for many years I thought I wanted to do something else. I I was really into anthropology and I kind of wanted to pursue that and um my dad had been an engineer and a lot of my school aptitude test kept pointing towards oh you should go into the sciences and all my counselors were trying to get me to do that and but then when I was 15 I saw this movie called The Exorcist and oh. um that changed my world forever. Um, after that movie, <laughs> I knew that there was absolutely nothing I could do except write. Um, and it horrified my parents and all of my school counselors. <laughs> but um, I pursued for many years, uh, because of that movie, I think, I pursued screenwriting rather than fiction writing. And it wasn't actually until I had some minor success as a screenwriter that I realized that was not really what I wanted to do, that I was probably better suited to prose writing. And um, about the like the mid-90s is when I really got into prose writing, although I continued to, to do screenwriting for a while because, hey, the money is pretty great. <laughs> get, the, get the work. And... I had told you before the show, but when I saw Ray Bradbury on your website, I was like, oh, because he really was, had such a huge impact for me. And he used to always, he used to always say when, when he would give these, these talks, I got to meet him because we had a little literary newspaper in San Diego and we interviewed Ray. And one of the perks was we would all get to meet him next time he came down to San Diego. So I got to meet him and, and, but he was so funny because he used to tell me writers can't afford cars right he didn't drive so he was like i never drove because writers can't afford cars i was like oh harsh reality right i was uh, blessed with being able to know ray for a few years um 
I happened to have friends who knew him quite well, and I got to hang out with him for a few years in the early 80s, and he was such a delightful man. And, and I drove him a few times, and it's one of those yeah. things where you're you're driving along, and you're thinking, oh, my God, I've got, like, the world's greatest science fiction writer in my car. Please right? don't let me have an accident. <laughs> yes. Yes, don't let me be the one who kills Ray Bradbury. You're right. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah, I saw the picture on your website was from Something Wicked This Way Comes, which also often makes my my Halloween annual countdown movies. And did you get to be there when they were filming it? I did. Yeah, I I got to go <gasps> for a couple of days as Ray's guest. Um Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was it was incredible. Um it was a just a magical opportunity and um I got to see uh, one of the days I was there they were shooting the big parade through town and I got to see my first glimpse of Jonathan Price as Mr. Dark and I thought he was magnificent. Oh, he was perfect, incredibly yeah. charismatic up even, you know, in person and um, I had an absolutely magical hour-long chat, I think, with Pam Greer one day on the set. That was amazing. Um, and then I also got to be a part of kind of the whole experience of, of Ray going through this movie. I got to go to a scoring session for it. I got to see the different cuts of it. Um, and I have to tell you that the early cut of that movie was incredible and would have been a classic. And I've, I've always thought it's unfortunate that um, Disney chose to try and sort of Disney-fy it in many regards. Um, they added, like, there's a there's a scene in the movie in which the two boys are clearly a year older because <laughs> they were right. kids. They were growing up fast. You look at it and you're like, well, those kids are clearly much older than they were when they shot the movie that Disney added later, which is this thing with spiders because they felt the movie wasn't scary enough. And it was really too bad because it was a gorgeous movie in the beginning. And Jack Clayton was an amazing director. I thought he was a, the, like the perfect choice for that because I love the innocence and um, it was. It's. I keep hoping that at some point someone will find and re-release that cut because it was an amazing film and um, really deserves to be seen in that format. I think. Yeah, and I think what I love about that movie and and the book, everyone, if you haven't read Something Wicked This Way Comes, you gotta read the book. <laughs> but oh, I thought definitely. that it was the because the scary was. Uh, to me, it always felt like that book, the scary part is be careful what you wish for um, right. because, you know, what you think you want is probably not really what you want. And to me, the idea that someone would give it to you without you thinking that through was that was where the terrifying part was. So to me, I, it's, it's very, um, uh, now words are hard, but you know, you really have to, think about it and it sinks into your bones I think better in the book than than a film can really do in two hours you know oh for sure yeah cerebral that's what I was looking for (laughs) I mean Bradbury was a master stylist in terms of his writing and just I, I something wicked is probably my favorite book of his and it's just I mean the prose in it is gorgeous it's the kind of thing that as a writer you just read it and go wow how did he even do this Right, right. And that feeling 
um, you know, that, that summertime would go on forever. And, you know, instantly you feel like you're 10 years old again. And, and it's really, it's really a fantastic, fantastic book. Everything in it is alive, even the setting around you and the weather, all of it, you know, the leaves blowing by. Anyway, it's it's a great read for fall if you haven't read it yet. (laughs) Perfect Halloween book. Yes, and you have written some Halloween um, stories and novellas and that kind of thing. Do you have any favorites that we could we could um, you know go grab to get in the Halloween spirit? Um, well, I have a, a collection of all of my Halloween fiction, which is called The Shamanach and Other Halloween Treats, um, that gathers together oh. something like ten short stories and four novellas, all Halloween themed. Um, oh. Yes, I have written a lot of fiction about my favorite holiday. <laughs> I and, love uh, it. <laughs> yeah, and uh, there is one. Um, there are. I, I'm still writing fiction about Halloween. I've written a couple of stories since that collection even came out. I love it. And is that available like an ebook on Amazon? Uh huh. It sure is. Oh, great! I'm I'm gonna go check it out. Um, <laughs> And uh, what are you working on? What's next for you after calling the spirits? Are you taking a little break? Are you already working on the next thing? Can you give us a sneak peek? Well, there unfortunately are a lot of things that are happening that are immensely cool that I can't discuss yet. They may or may not have oh, something secret. to do with Hollywood. Um, oh, secret <laughs> Hollywood things. Yeah, this fortunately, this is stuff where they would be optioning my work, and I probably wouldn't have to do much except cash the check. Um, there is one very exciting thing, which was announced. My first novel, which uh, was The Castle of Los Angeles, has been optioned for film production and television development. And that was optioned uh, wow. for a wonderful young actress named Daniela Pineda, who I just adore. I've been fortunate enough to meet her, and she would be perfect for the lead in it. Um, she is off right now in New Zealand. I think she is still over there shooting the live-action Cowboy Bebop series for Netflix and she's also co-starring in the next Jurassic Park movie. So um, she's she's a really, really great actress, and I just, I really hope that will happen because she'd be so great for the part. And um, I will be a guest of honor at StokerCon in May next year. That'll be happening in Denver. And um, uh, at least we hope it will be happening in Denver. Right, right. Yeah, we don't uh, really know, but... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, we will be releasing my next collection there, which will be my first sort of greatest hits collection. Um, it'll have 20 reprinted short stories and one new one written just for the book. And that collection is called Night Terrors and Other Tales. Um, oh, and that's, Yeah, that's coming out from a wonderful company called Omnium Gatherum. And, and I'm really happy, actually, that it is a female-owned publisher that's putting that out, that that really rocks my it. world and yeah so um and uh, right now i'm kind of trying to uh, in fact today i'm finishing up a proposal for what i hope will be my next non-fiction book um it's the kind of thing where the editor and i have talked about it for a while he loves the idea now um the proposal goes out and we see if it moves forward and um, I don't want to talk about the subject of that yet, um, okay. but 
Yeah, it's something very we'll just different send for good me. good vibes for it. <laughs> yes, thank you. I, it's something I haven't really written about much before. So um, it would be really exciting and really fun to write this book and um, and research it and so forth. And I, I think, like many writers, the whole pandemic COVID thing has made coming up with things a little bit weird. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, For sure. I know it's it's the kind of thing i i recently read a great article that um said that many of us are experiencing something that medieval monks felt which was called acedia and it's this idea that because you can't foresee a future you end up becoming sort of apathetic about things and i said wow that kind of nails me because Every time I've sat down to create fiction over the last six months, I've ended up just tying myself in knots, thinking, well, mm-hmm. you know, are we going to be masked in a year? Should I put masks in this story? Do I? Uh, it, will it be passe? Because things, of course, take so long to reach print after you write them. And, right. Um, that is one of the reasons that I've ended up deciding to focus on nonfiction this year and just wait and let everything else even itself out. Yeah, it's true. And because I try to write happy ever afters, um, especially at the beginning of the lockdown, it was almost impossible to, you know, get your brain in a creative mode for longer than five minutes because your attention span is nothing when the world's on fire, you know, and you've got this inner voice going, who cares? Who cares about this? I'm like, no, no, people care. Yeah. (laughs) So it has been interesting. I was fortunate enough that when we went right into the lockdown, I had just signed a contract to put together a book. And, um, again, unfortunately, I can't tell you what this is yet because it hasn't uh, been announced yet by the publisher. But it was um, a collection of uh, an older author that I was editing. And it gave me something to focus on that I could do a total deep dive into because I wanted to talk about this author's life and um, how he created his work and so forth. And it was the kind of thing that I actually delivered it before they had even given me the final deadline for delivery. (laughs) Wow, so you needed that escape. (laughs) I did. I focused on it so intently, and and I delivered it so early that the publisher was writing me going, you know that this is, like, not even going to be announced until 2021, right? And I said, yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I just had to do it now. um, Oh. It was really That's a, a gift. gift. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, I have had so much fun chatting with you. I can't believe we're out of time, but I hope that you have a very happy Halloween. And please keep in touch so that I know what these secret projects are because I'm dying to find out. <laughs> oh, I certainly will. And thanks so much for inviting me. This was great. Thanks fun. for joining us on Book Life. Thanks. Be Lisa. sure to connect with us at www.readersentertainment.com for articles, blogs, videos, and podcasts that matter to readers.